And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in a packed studio today, almost at capacity. Stefan Hostetter's here. How are you doing? Also sitting in studio with Jay Wall. Good morning. And M.A. Ma is joining us again as well. Hey, everyone. Uh, so we also have on the phone in just a second, we're going to go pretty much straight to it because we're tight on time for a couple of reasons today. One of them is just that today was an insane news week. So we're going to be talking about some cabinet appointments. We're going to be talking a little bit about Keystone. We're going to be talking a little bit in the end of the show about the fires that rage on that we found out about just at the basically as we were starting the show last week and just sort of couldn't react fast enough to, to talk about with any authority. So we left it for this week. We'll be talking about that later as well. But without further ado, I believe I do have Kevin Kenners on the phone. Uh, my first question for you is Hello? to confirm, because it is a bit of a, a green majority tradition to mangle people's last names. Did I say your last name correctly? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you are the, uh, the host and producer, is that right, of the Elephant Podcast? That's right. And uh, we'll be speaking to you actually uh, as well from uh, the UK right now. I was connected to you actually through our today's other guest, uh, Jay Wall. Uh, and you are another um, environment-based uh, podcast. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, that project, uh, who's involved, uh, and what the, the theme of your show is? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be on uh, CIT, where I had a show for, for a while, too. Oh, okay, um, yes. and, and so... Yeah, so this is a project I started about a year ago. Uh, climate change has been something I, th- I think I'm maybe not unusual. It's something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time, something that I've had some anxiety over, but I, I try to push to one side of my mind for, for most of my day-to-day life. It's just kind of a scary topic to think about all the time. And uh, last year, I was thinking more and more about it and, and deciding that, okay, I, th- I think it's time to finally face up and, and maybe try to do something myself. And so there's an opportunity through this organization called Climate Kick to get a, a bit of money and to uh, perhaps start an experiment with a podcast where we would do different interviews, do different stories, looking at the climate problem. Uh, and, and from different the, the interesting thing about climate change is that it's, it's basically about everything on Earth. There's literally nothing it doesn't touch, right? Like our food systems, our energy systems, how our cities are built, how we how we structure our time and what we do with ourselves. What I wanted to do was make a podcast that would approach it from, from that way. So one of the things I wanted to ask you a little bit about was just the idea. So, I mean, we, we've been doing this show, uh, our show here for about 10 years. Uh, you've gotten yours started. We, I'm also aware of a number of other um, podcasts and shows um, from around the world and also independent media organizations. Uh, there are small, independent, uh, and to varying degrees, organizations all over the world dedicated to uh, many of them dedicated to environmentalism and and i th- i think we would ag- agree that that's because the mainstream media is is doing an, a, a terrible job i don't do this just because i en- i enjoy it i also do it because it's it's necessary uh, i'm assuming you'd agree with that and then i'd also uh, like you to, to comment on that is how bad is it that we have to exist in the first place you know mainstream media understandably they're businesses and they're trying to make money and even the the good media we have, which is mainstream, uh, is public broadcasting, like BBC or BBC, and of course they have their faults. But you know, I think it's it's always been a, a big part of of how we understand the world, and uh, it's only gotten more necessary as the pinch has come on in the mainstream media, uh, and they've been they've had to align themselves more closely with trying to make money since it's it just becomes so so difficult. And if it wasn't for things like community radio or, or even something like as simple as uh, or as, as big as Democracy Now!, which started just off of community radio, I, 
I think there's a lot of stories that we just never uh, would have heard. Like uh, Democracy Now!, for example, and other communications have covered Keystone right from the beginning, where it's only now that a lot of the mainstream media or really big issues that they caught up. So along the lines of uh, doing an, an independent uh, uh, show you've got started there for uh, about uh, a year, what sort of reaction have you um, had as this, um, have you found that there was a big need that you've been addressing and, and, uh, and people have been paying attention to your show? I'd be lying if it was like, uh, if I pretended Kim Kardashian type numbers here. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do, from talking to my friends, uh, who I think are, are similar to me and not necessarily, you know, they're, they're not environmentalists by any means that a lot of people have had in the back of their mind and you hear more about and there's a desire to go deeper there. So I, I do think there's a desire, Greenie or, or environmentalist, five or ten years ago, it's becoming such a central issue that I think people are starting to understand that it's, it's an issue we need to learn more about, whether we want to or not. It's not going to go away again like it did you know, after we had that peak of uh, uh, in 2007 with all the excitement and then it went away. I, I think... We're beginning to understand that this isn't a trend. This isn't some sort of fad. Climate change is here to stay, and, and we need to we need to start learning more about it. So I, I think it has tapped into a bit of that. Mm. So finally, also, I I'd warned you uh, uh, that there was a couple of uh, top news items that uh, that were happening right now that I was hoping to get your perspective on. So the the one that I that uh, we sort of agreed on, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Of course, is the ongoing issue uh, with Keystone XL. We had uh, it's been an epic tale, uh, as it were. Um, the it was sort of delayed and then canceled, uh, or potentially worried about being canceled, and then uh, then Obama sort of punted, and now it's then he was making it look like um, he for sure was going to cancel it, but he hadn't said anything. And then he's, uh, TransCanada recently asked for a delay. And then he's dramatically said he's not going to do a delay, but it's not a no. <laughs> it, there, it seems to be, uh, oh, and then of course, most recently, I don't, I don't know if even uh, this, you caught this one yesterday. It was just this morning that I read as well that Stephen Dion, the uh, uh, former mm-hmm. leader and now cabinet member here in Canada, saying that the Liberal Party, well, okay, well, we're actually for the project, um, despite all the other good stuff we've been saying. Um, but you know we're not, we don't want to make an issue of it, and and we were just sort yeah, of commenting here ahead of time that that the indication there seemed to be that they're making a service to somebody. We just don't know who it is. Uh, we don't know if it's the oil companies or the or the uh, or the activists. Um, I, I would like your uh, your comment on that. What do you think? Yeah, well, I I mean they they have said they were for Keystone for a while, but nonetheless, it's kind of surprising to hear Dion say that simply because he's been so. And I mean that's another great sign is the fact that. You know, he's going to play a, a role in, in uh, dealing with Paris and uh, is heading that, that cabinet committee on the environment. Uh, wonderful steps that I've been blown away by so far. I mean, you know, cautious optimism and it's early, but it looks really exciting. And in terms of Keystone, I mean, to, you said that Obama punted it. I mean, it's been seven years. It's, it's more than a punt. It's an, it's an incredible story. And, and I think the, how this became an issue in the first place demonstrates such a great lesson. You know, we had uh, Bill McKibben on on the podcast uh, a few months ago, who really, with 350.org and with others, really helped blow this this, uh, this topic up. And it was a, a pipeline that no one had heard of. And it was going to be a definite uh, deal of approval. It wasn't controversial at all. And then they went in front of that White House and, you know, a thousand or so people got arrested, um, including Naomi Klein and indigenous leaders. And, and, and now, seven years later, we're still talking about it. And I think it's it's such a, a great lesson in learning that how how much of a difference uh, people can make. Uh, this is just a, a small group of people originally that started out in uh, in opposing this pipeline, 
and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown and it's grown. And now it's something of real political capital uh, that is being planted around. And so if someone does approve it or if Trudeau decides to approve it, even then they have to say, well, we're not going to push it. Um, and uh, I, I think it, I think it's a stunning victory, even even if somehow it was approved now. It's a stunning victory and a stunning example that I think we should learn from. I think that's uh, I think that's exactly what I was uh, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> that's uh, that's great. Unfortunately, we we're having a, a tiny bit of problem with the uh, the uh, audio line there a little bit. Um, so I'm going to have to let you go, unfortunately. But uh, we definitely heard the all of uh, almost all of the rest of your last answer there. And I think that even just that that last piece uh, that people were able to hear should be enough of an endorsement that uh, uh, that they will likely want to check out your podcast. So that's uh, elephantpodcast.org If you want to, if you have enough time in your busy schedule of podcasting after you listen to the Green Majority, of course, to go listen to the Elephant <laughs> Podcast. Uh, or if you're just sick of my voice, which is also entirely valid, mm. um, go check out elephantpodcast.org. Uh, Kevin Canders, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I hope uh, that we can speak again in the future. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Edward, now our technician is going to lead us in song or perhaps just play a song. What do we got, Edward? All right. Um, well, I've been DJing for a while, so every time <laughs> that volume went down, I like had a mini heart attack. Um, part of my life. But uh, <laughs> uh, for for the song today, we got uh, "Your Daddy Don't Know" by Toronto. Not. <laughs> <laughs>
And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful and amazing and very appreciated community radio partners all across the country and now into the United States as well. And our podcast listeners, the podcast listeners, uh, a couple brief announcements here before I just basically try and keep my mouth shut as much as possible for the rest of the show um, is uh, first and foremost uh, is that our podcast will be uh, merged into a new stream. This is going to allow us to add some uh, additional content so that people who are listening on the radio will not actually get the full show. We will have a, a an after show. We're going to uh, experiment a little bit with what that looks like but basically it's an opportunity to finish our thoughts which we frequently run out of time for uh that will be happening officially next week uh i still will have this stream basically if you're already uh listening as a subscriber the stream will continue to exist it's the one that the uh the radio stations and other people who are rebroadcasting our show will be up so this show will still exist as it is um but if you are a podcast listener and you're not a radio station uh you're going to want to move over to the other stream so it will there will be two for a little while and then uh well there's going to be two always but we're going to we're going to change the links over on the website so if you are listening online or on the podcast right now uh, or if you're listening on the radio and you want to find out what's going on in the bonus show uh go to greenmajority.ca slash podcast number two is that next week is the fall fundraiser it was originally scheduled during the election and then uh, i think cooler heads prevailed smart mm-hmm. people realized that too many people were begging for money and that that wouldn't be a great time however ciut does Uh, survive entirely on listener donations so twice a year we do uh, spend the show we still have a show we still have some cool guests and and this uh, time will be no exception Uh, but there will be a fundraiser next week so uh, basically what you could do if you're like oh no I don't want to hear the math for money well if you go online right now and uh, ciut.fm and donate now and we get a tremendous response then i won't uh, I, I won't need to bother you next week and we can just have fun next week so it's up to you uh, please uh, c- please consider becoming a supporter uh, we do need uh, this platform to exist and continue doing what we're doing and you'll hear more about that next week but you can go on to ciut.fm right now and make your donation to the sound of your city uh, radio uh, with that i'm going to introduce uh, this section's guest jay wall welcome to the program Thank who is you. the creative director for studio jay wall and is also uh, just a generally very well connected uh, connected man and very civic civically engaged uh as well um so thank you for joining us here on the green majority thanks darren it's great to be here um so you're going to help us discuss a little bit now with the uh, assistance of emmy ma who's here of course and uh stefan hostetter um one of the other things that was happening this week we mentioned a little bit about stefan dion's uh comments about being pro key xl apparently uh but we have a number of other announcements uh i think we can probably start with the biggest one relevant to the show which is Catherine McKenna. Um, and uh, as well, I know, Stefan, you, uh, I, I assume, read that article as well. Um, there's a lot of positive buzz about mm-hmm. her. And uh, I thought maybe we could just go around a little bit and say, uh, what do you think of the buzz? What do you think so far of her? And um, should we, we asked last week, should we be happy? Should we be happy? Uh, I think we should be happy. Uh, a, if uh, I think the it, not just because Catherine McKenna, there seems to be some. some she seems uh, to be a pretty good choice, and everyone, a lot of people seem to be pretty happy about it. But I think the right, re- bigger reason why I should be happy is because uh, there's kind of environmentalism throughout the cabinet as a whole. Uh, you know, Dion ran one of the most climate, uh, really ran on climate change uh, when he ran as leader. Uh, you know, you have you have one, our science minister worked on the IPCC. Uh, there's there's a fair amount of climate uh, engagement throughout the cabinet as a as a larger section. Uh, and so if that, al- that at least for me is, is a sign of optimism. Um, and so as, you know, as, as, I, I don't know, for me, it's always funny judging exactly how well, uh, cabinets are going to actually influence policy is always like, you know, what did Harper's cabinet do? 
absolutely nothing uh just like war um like uh but i think there's i think there's at least a very um it's a, it's a, it's an encouraging sign it's better than a, a discouraging sign uh the cabinet is and so i'm i'm ca- again costly optimistic seems to be the general tone of 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 canada right now uh so I, i'm gonna i'm i'm in line with the general tone of canada i'm costly optimistic yeah they um I don't know all the recognize all the brand names, but they appear to at least not to have shopped at IKEA. Uh, but uh, uh, Jay, yeah, I think uh, Stefan really nailed it with cautiously optimistic. I mean, it's been such an exciting week in Canadian politics. You know, uh, I'm not a partisan guy, um, and you know, when when Trudeau was elected, I was like, okay, like this is great. We've, Harper's Harper's out of there for now. Um, this is great, but I'm still like a bit, a little bit uh, apprehensive. You know, we got this liberal majority. Are we actually going to get some good work done in our country? Um, and this week, with the announcing of the cabinet, uh, there were some really great surprises, um, and uh, you know, totally cautiously optimistic. I would say for the first time in a decade, I'm actually feeling a bit positive about game politics. <laughs> it's like, what's that weird feeling coming out of my heart? Like, oh, okay, you know, what, what's that word uh, Obama used in his campaign? Four-letter word, hope. Hope. It's like, you know. So I think uh, it's a really exciting time for Canada. Um, we also have to, you know not rest on our laurels here and know that we have a lot of work to do um, and we're going to have to hold uh, this new cabinet accountable to implementing great policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to be back to a practice where they actually try to match cabinet ministers to some experience that they've had in their <laughs> professional backgrounds. So sensible. It's, cool. a, it's a welcome return to that. I'm not going to point any fingers at Julian Fantino. Um, but uh, anyways, I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how that experience plays out. In the case of McKenna, it's on her bio, which the party uh, published. She has experience in in trade, actually. Um, And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the TPP later. And so I think looking at the interaction between the TPP and the climate negotiations, which are upcoming, would be an interesting sort of thing to target her on. Hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, that's a... a, uh, What I find interesting about the cabinet is that all, all of the cabinet decisions seem to have like they're there, but they also have this other thing. They're like the foreign affairs. Dion has like some environment side to it. They, yeah. You know, like there's always they seem to have like the secondary thing that they also have a an aspect to, and it's like it's yeah. it's almost like they put in thought to the cabinet. It's I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to blow anyone's minds, but it's like they thought about this before and, they. You did. know, if you look at the committee structure, I had a quick glance, and I believe Dion is actually chairing the the committee on climate change. Mm. So he hasn't actually uh, departed from that. Uh, area of work which he has been a champion of in the past yeah and i think just uh, on dion in that role yeah you're really looking at like four negotiations is half of it and the other half is negotiating with with like like, you have to you have to come with a decent idea to ipc but then you have to come back to the provinces and actually have a real conversation about it um and so their their current plan is which has been sort of stated a couple times is to actually have is to is to basically work with carbon pricing within provincials and basically set help help them do that uh which I think can sound like a cop out, but I think the more you actually understand about how Canada operates is actually how it has to happen. Uh, and so, if we can get, if, if you know, having Dion be there to be our voice, sort of uh, part of our voice ex- externally, and then have McKenna and sort of the rest of the to have the voice internally conversation is really the way Canada actually can move forward. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the features as well of this uh, among not only who is on this list, which I seemed to me to be very interesting because it seemed to be very much intentionally handpicked for the optics of it, but that that didn't, that isn't necessarily a bad thing because in this case, the optics wasn't just, Oh, well we, you know, um, 
uh, Aboriginal affairs. Okay, we need an Aboriginal person. It was more like Aboriginal affairs. We need a person with Aboriginal affairs experience or some knowledge or at least some genuine history of experience in that topic. Um, so on that note, also, it's also noticeable who was not there. And Jay, I will, uh, you have some personal uh, experience with one of the people who were, uh, I think we can all agree we're happy, was not put in cabinet despite being elected. Um, so, uh, Mr. Bill Blair. Right. So, Bill Blair, also known as the former Toronto police chief, uh, was highly speculated to be appointed to either the, the Minister of Justice, uh, uh, Public Safety, or Defense, uh, which was, you know, as, as Trudeau was talking about, you know, hashtag real change. <laughs> oh, we're like, wait, you're going to, after a decade of, of Harper, you're going to bring in a guy who's known for violating um, civil liberties um, and uh, implementing racist policies. Like, that's not going to stand well. Um, but yet it was still speculated that he was uh, probably going to get the job. He's a bit of a, a, bit of a celebrity. And uh, so I actually... Um, some friends and I, we wrote a petition and, uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of articles going around, uh, calling attention to this great concern of, you know, what happens if Bill Blair's on the cabinet? This is really not good for Canada. Uh, you know, at the last minute we threw together a petition and we, we got 800 signatures in three days. Um, and we, we got that to Justin Trudeau and, you know, uh, regardless of, you know, we don't know whether or not that, that changed his mind or maybe Blair was never on the cabinet list. Either way, we're really relieved at the outcome uh, to not see him on that list. So what I'd like to get you all of you guys to speculate on here a little bit was that it seems, as I was just mentioning before, it seems like Justin Trudeau was very concerned with the optics of all of his choices. And and uh, that, that isn't necessarily meant that the, the optics was his only concern, but he seemed very, very concerned about the optics of it. So um, is it, could this be possibly an indication of him being extra sensitive to uh, maybe public outcry or public appeal because he wants people to like him. Unlike Harper, he's actually very concerned with whether or not people like him personally and his government, it seems to me. Um, so whether or not that played a role in Bill Blair, um, this seems to me to perhaps be an amazing opportunity to maybe use that against him to actually make sure that some stuff that needs to be done actually gets done. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference back to a conversation I had recently that apparently Justin Trudeau was, li- was named the 69th most powerful person in the world by Forbes. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I just I had the exact same reaction all of you just did, uh, which was laughter because as much as I you know as much as Canada is a, you know, is, is a country. Uh, we're not a very big country. Uh, and so my response to them was, I think I could find you a hundred billionaires who have more control than Justin, Justin Trudeau. Mm. Uh, but the reason I bring that up is I think, I think the way he could have power is if he actually, if he honestly got Obama type, uh, devotion. Mm. Uh, as much as as much as people sort of like that he's around and like he's 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 a fully admittedly a breath of fresh air uh, for the last ten years uh, without question. Uh, in, in reality, actually, he's probably the breath of fresh air the last twenty five if you consider just the level of charisma he has that we haven't seen and since I'm not even sure. Um, uh, so, but I think I think but what that it's interesting that that hasn't translated into really actually winning the hearts and minds of uh, of uh, of the general left. I think general left, as we said earlier, cautious optimism is our is our phrase. Uh, and I think the only way he can actually have the type of power he really wants to have, he has to win. He has to win the left. Mm-hmm. He sort of won the center uh, as as we discussed in the election campaign with your ten thousand new votes to every single liberal candidate came out, showed up, and voted for him. Um, like voter turnout was. A, unreal because he won the center and so the people who are sort of kind of interested in politics but he still has not won the actual hearts of the of the left and i think that's that's what he has to do to have real power yeah i mean uh you know 
on, a lot of people on the left were like, okay, like we'll take what we can get. After a decade of serious disappointment, we're like, okay, this is at least something we can work with. So yeah, we ha- he has to do more to, to win the hearts on the left for sure. So on that note though, as well, I mean, part of the other reason I wanted to mention about Bill Blair was that you had some pers- personal experience right. with the G20. And so I wanted to, I wanted you to just sort of, you could give like a very brief version of that story about your involvement, what happened with you, why, why it was such a personal, not personal necessarily between you and him, but it was a personally relevant to you. Um, and talk about this other thing, which is we're still waiting to hear, although noises are still being made um, about uh, amendments to versus getting rid of versus doing cosmetic touches to C-51. Uh, so do you, what, would you like to just do a brief version of that story? And then we can talk about C-51 a little bit. Sure. Um, I'll bring you back uh, five years ago to the summer of 2010 when the G20 summit was, was in Toronto. At the time, I was not really politically engaged, and uh, one day I was walking down the street, happened to be wearing a bandana around my neck, and I uh, got swarmed by uh, 15 Toronto police officers, and they just uh, put me under arrest right away, um, charged me with disguise with intent, and locked me up for 28 hours. I was disappeared off the street. Um, and so, uh, you know, in the years that have followed, uh, I've done a lot of um, pushing to hold the police accountable for, for what happened during the G20. And, you know, one of the things that was brought to light through investigations was that uh, people like me, there was 1,100 people arrested. Almost all of them were unlawfully arrested, like myself. Um, And that was the result of orders from the top, you know, to arrest anyone who might potentially be a protester or, you know, might just be someone wearing a backpack or like a bandana (laughs) or anything like that, like that, um, that was that resulted in, in people actually getting arrested and, and rounded up and walked away um, and then having to, you know, in some cases, fight charges. So, uh, you know, those investigations revealed that, you know, Blair really did have a, uh, a, a large role in policing the G20 um, as if we would expect anything, anything different. It's just that he, he had always, you know, denied it and, and refused to accept any, any responsibility. Uh, and so, you know, and he's, you know, he refused to cooperate with, with the ombudsman, uh, for investigating the follow-up uh, to the G20. Um, and so, you know, this is someone who's saying, like, I don't, you know, I don't care about civil rights. I don't care about the charter. You know, it's rule of law. Something goes down in my city, I'm just going to re- arrest anyone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's where my beef with uh, Bill Blair comes from. And, you know, five years of legal battles to try to hold him accountable. And um, despite courts making decisions in my favor, at the end, uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, we were managed. We were we were able to bring this uh, this this to light, but ultimately, no one was really held accountable except for a low rank officer who got a one day suspension. <laughs> so yeah, so as as you've had a very uh, personal touch uh, <laughs> on that particular aspect of it, and but it's it's so it's this sort of thing. It's with that sort of story in mind, and that's why I wanted to ask you to, to mention it. That when we talk about things like um, you know adjusting versus getting rid of versus leaving. C-51, it's like, well, even with the existent powers, we clearly have enough opportunity for people to abuse it. Right. Just like before we dive too deep into C-51, mm. I want to acknowledge, you know, I made it to my mid-20s before my first bad encounter with police. Mm. I've since realized how much privilege I have in that. <laughs> and there's so many people who, like, that's what they grow up with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the, the context of, you know, what we've seen, especially in, uh, in Toronto politics and, and Ontario-wide and beyond that in the last year, carding. Uh, which the police call street checks, uh, has been a, um, a really controversial issue. And it's been great to see uh, it addressed and discussed. Uh, you know, Blair was a champion of carding. He was, he was pushing this all the way, even as um, th- thousands of concerned people 
uh, were saying how, how, horrible, how horribly this policy affects their lives. So I just want to, you know, I want to add that little bit of context. So it's, you know, not just like, oh, like poor Jay Wall, you know, got arrested during the G20. Like this is, this is, a, this is someone who really um, has shown a total lack of, uh, lack of respect and integrity around civil rights. Mm. Uh, there was so the other issue uh, there, of course, was um, part of the thing around. The, I think part of the confusion about this, uh, and Ma will go to you on this one as well. But uh, was just the idea that people well, there there wasn't a clear problem that was being addressed. So I think when my skepticism, well, where a lot of that comes from with the edit the C fifty thing was C fifty one was was that I I've still yet to hear. This is the problem we're having, and this is how this legislation addresses it. Uh, the only thing I know about it, and maybe that's my ignorance. Maybe we're all wrong, and maybe parts of this bill does actually address very serious uh, gaps in our security infrastructure, and I am also worried about security. I'm not an idiot. Um, but that case has not been made, and I, I wonder I, I wonder if there maybe is an opportunity to have a sort of self-check conversation say, here and say maybe there is a place for this. Um, but it's up to the liberals if they want to amend it as opposed to get rid of it to at least make the case of where are the gaps and how does this address them as opposed to just take our word for it. Terrorists, scary, scary, scary. Let us do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to look at the sum total of all the legislation that's been passed since 9-11 um, that potentially infringes on our rights in this country um, and Bill C-51 being the most recent uh, addition to that. I think the thing that troubled me the most about the liberal unconditional endorsement of that bill in the House is that this was clearly a political move by the Tories in advance of the election um, to come out and really um, launch a platform that, that ultimately targeted specific groups that they didn't like. And while, of course you're not going to have people coming out on on that side of the fence and naming groups. We know that it has specific impl implications for um, environmental groups, Aboriginal people in this country who may be protesting. And we really need, I think, to take a very firm stand with our new government to say endorsing a position that was brought forward by the previous government that was highly criticized, um, not only by many of the groups that were directly or potentially impacted by it, but also by legal experts um, who really feel that it may not survive like a charter challenge. You cannot just blindly stand behind that. And I think, frankly, um, that I think the liberals should acknowledge that they were wrong on this front. And so whether it's a process of significantly amending what's there or just downright tossing it out um, as one of their first acts, I do think that we need to put continued pressure on the new government to do that. One mm -hmm. one of the other things that tie it back to what to what Jay was saying too is I mean you know as um, people who live in uh, you know white males who live in downtown Toronto when I had that happen I was or during the G twenty I stayed so far away I just because I hate crowds mostly um, but also just like well feeling like well th this doesn't happen in my neighborhood but it's like the the bottom line and, and <laughs> thank you for acknowledging that and I wanted to re acknowledge that point as well was that for a lot of people there are the, this they're way on the end of the uh, normal interaction with police services. 
And so if, if you know, as our, in our privileged position saying, oh, okay, well, this is going to infringe too far on my rights. It's like, well, it's already being infringed way too far for other groups of people. And like, what's the upper limit here? Like where we obviously cannot rely. And I think this is what it really comes down to. We obviously cannot rely on the safe judgment of the people to, well, just trust us. We're, we're better than they were. We will, we can be trusted to use this power fairly. I don't think anybody can be trusted to use that kind of power fairly. I, th- I don't think that sort of power should should be in existence. Um, and that's the thing I don't really understand about um, some of the folks on the right wing, too. They're like, well, we want all this power in the PMO's office. They're like, you know what? You're going to lose eventually. And then the people you despise are going to have that power. Do you really like, does that really sound <laughs> smart to you? I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was going to jump off uh, MA's point on, on C51. Uh, if, you're, if you're talking about real change, uh, real change can't exist without dispelling the culture of fear that that last 10 years has created with indigenous groups and environmentalists. They've spent 10 years trying to find a way, every way possible, to make them feel like their voice can't be squashed at a moment's notice. That was the goal of 51. That's what you saw with G- the G20. Uh, like, if the G20 taught, should have taught anyone anything, it's that even if we have laws that say you can do things, if the government decides to do something else, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, like they don't care. Yeah, it's 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 un, it's uncomfortable, and, and to it basically, C fifty one just provides that extra bit of cover uh, to to squash out. And, and, and I think, the, uh, especially on uh, with with Aboriginal groups, they're so calmly the ones that are actually out on the front lines, standing in front of the police, that they are the ones can be disproportionately uh, affected by all of this. Mm-hmm. And to come in as place like they can come in and they can have a great policy on on the missing murder and indigenous women. They can have a they can have a great policy on. Um, uh, on actually having an inquiry and, and, and a real and a real actually uh, to, to, like actually taking the steps to the truth and reconciliation committee, but if they don't, then also address this other policing factor. It's it's still not real change. It's mm. you can it's better, but it's real change. Actually, says we ex- what you are doing is a legal representation of your rights, uh, and that we and we will not infringe on that. Uh, and without actually taking real action to to reduce that sort of thing. Um, it's still uh, i'm sorry real change is not real all right uh, i think this that's probably a good place to take a pause we're going to come back in a couple of minutes uh here on the green majority in case you're just tuning uh in we're going to talk a little bit about the tpp and a terrifying fire raging in indonesia as well um what i just wanted to say about that was it was just occurring to me while you guys were talking that maybe we should have an official policy on the show Stefan, that uh, uh we just stop referring to them as aboriginal groups in general and just say first responders because <laughs> that seems to be far more accurate and, yeah. and useful mm-hmm. um same problems, just the people on the receiving end, both on the receiving end uh, of the most uh, immediate impacts uh, and of the institutional punishment for having daring to speak up against that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll chat about we'll that chat. over the break. We'll be right back after this music break on The Green Majority. Edward, our technician today, and DJ, what are we listening to on this time round? All right. Um, we got uh, It Could Happen to You by Blue Rodeo. I don't know why. It's not working. There it goes. (laughs) (laughs) They broke off the locks and they opened the doors, pushed out the windows and painted the floors, grew a little garden outside. Pieces that were left to die Brought the 
All right. We are back in the final home stretch here of the Green Majority. You're listening to Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM. Reminder that our fall fundraiser is going to be next week, so stay tuned for that. Also, uh, a podcast adjustment as well. So if you're listening online or you wish to, uh, check out greenmajority.ca slash podcast to get all the latest info about that, especially if this is the last show in your stream and then suddenly there's no new shows. There's a reason for that. Go to our website, greenmajority.ca slash podcast and, uh, and get the updated links uh, as well. So without further ado on that, we have breaking news. I don't have a breaking news sound, uh, but I do have a sound to go along with the breaking news. Is my breaking news? Don't play yet. Is it ready? Okay. So as soon as Stefan's done here, we're going to go with our breaking news theme music. Stefan, what's the breaking news? Uh, so at 11.09 today, the Wall Street Journal posted an article reporting that the Obama administration is going to reject Keystone XL, setting climate return. Yes. So One actually, down, 300 to go. Exactly. So he's actually, it sounds as if uh, the opponents actually will use the veto, which was largely expected once he rejected their uh, attempt to punt it, uh, which is fantastic. Well, I, I have not read the whole article because, again, I was sitting here talking while, this, while I read this article. Uh, so I'm interested to see exactly how much more difficult this makes the approval of a theoretical keystone if, uh, if it goes on forward. Uh, but I'm going to guess it's... I'm going to guess, because I also think that the Republicans aren't going to win the, ha- win the presidency next year, I think this kills a keystone. You don't think it's President Trump? I do not think it's President Trump. All right. Maybe tre- President Carson. We'll see. Um, but uh, <laughs> so that is absolutely fantastic. Awesome. Of course, um, we will have more. I don't think there's a point much in saying much more now because uh, we, we, the details are still to be sussed out. So let's leave it for that other than that awesome announcement. Uh, and uh, there's, that's our token good thing for the week. Yes. We did downsize that Excel. Fabulous. It's just L. This is the hell. But on to news that the same thing happened to us last week. It was so breaking we didn't really get to Mm -hmm. it. So please, Stefan, if you'll lead us in uh, a brief discussion of some absolutely horrifying, gigantic, and mysteriously very quietly being mentioned, if at all, uh, fires in Indonesia. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So this is – what's interesting about this is almost every article written about it is about how no one's talking about it. Uh, it's one of those things where it's it's like 18 articles about how nothing's happening. It's it's too bad this wasn't a plane crash or CNN would be all about it. I think CNN now just runs on plane crashes. They would have 3D graphics ready to go. Yeah, like if someone just wants to fly a plane into the fire, so someone might actually talk about it. Uh, that, let's make let's make that a drone, shall we? <laughs> there we go. Uh, then that's like three different stories all in one. <laughs> um, but uh, but the but it's 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 horrifying. It's one of those stories where as soon as you start reading about it, it just gets it, it's. It's it's almost unconscionable. Every description of it is is like the words like eco apocalypse are used and looks like what you think hell would look like. Uh, it's it's the, um, an unbelievably massive fire. Uh, if there's one takeaway from the story, it is don't buy anything that includes palm oil. Uh, uh, so does it, because most of what the, the fire began through uh, a cla- uh, through a slash and burn techniques, uh, to, which is the fastest way to clear space uh, for palm oil plantations, uh, and then it was expected exceptionally dry season uh which basically led to amazing amazing amounts of burning uh to the extent where right now and this is this is some of the some of the like the ways they try to describe it because it's so huge are just are just unconscionable uh for example apparently right now the fires alone are creating as much carbon emissions as the entire u.s economy like each day, it's like the U.S. exists twice because of these fires. That is like that is the scale of which the size of these things we're looking at. And of course, it's not just that. It's it's that they're absolute devastating all of the the fauna. And this is like this is an incredibly biodiverse region of the world uh, that is that is just going up in blaze. 
and and the response has been has been has been existed, but it's 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 interesting that there's sort of there are questions why the government in Indonesia right now isn't actually saying there are fire bans again, probably because of how much money there is in the palm oil business. Um, it's it's they're trying to stop the fires, but they're also not saying you can't start any more fires, uh, which is kind of a confusing thing. Uh, it's been called a crime against humanity uh, because of the amount of smoke and soot in people's lungs. It's killed ten people from just the ashes in their lungs. It's it's awful. How's uh, how's the palm oil business doing now? It's all in flames. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. The thing is that they're coming back next year and they'll regrow it. This was afterwards, right? It's 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 just this. It's this. It's this ongoing cycle that they that they use to to actually do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, so much of it too. It's is just the idea of how much sway um, corporations have, and you were like, well, what do you want them to do? Because you know, this is a giant part of our economy. Well, that's the definition of too big to fail. That's why we've been, we told you in the first place that you shouldn't have that because of a problem like this, Mm -hmm. where you, you won't be able to afford to tell these companies no, or you won't be able to afford to tell them not to, you're going to be hooked on that money, um, in a very real way. And I think we're, we're, that's a big part of the story too, is that this is the consequences that we were talking about. And I hate to make this and I told you so, but the environmentalists did tell you so both palm oil has been a big problem for quite some time and climate change it's it's a it's a whole bunch of i told you so's wrapped into uh into one uh, yeah uh it's just the, the visit like you just read some of these things and it's like the visibility in the cities closest to these fires is 30 meters you can't see farther than 30 meters because of the soot in your in your face and this is a huge area right what, yeah five thousand kilometers long yeah it's massive it's just, it's I, like, it's one of those stories. It's honestly one of these stories that I actually don't know what to do with. It's one of the stories in climate change that I don't know what to do with because it's, it's, it's kind of like being at a hospital where, like, where you just have to keep telling people that something else is dead. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the stories where it's the. That's why I started opened with the with the comment of stop buying palm oil because it's always it's useful to give someone something to do when you read a story like this because I don't have anything else. I have nothing else but this is incredibly sad. Learn about it so you know what's up and then stop buying palm oil. There are apps online you can find to avoid palm oil which are which are valuable that's it's it's not like there isn't there isn't a nuanced opinion on this it's just a tragedy uh and arguably uh the worst ecological catastrophe that has happened in the 21st century mm-hmm. almost like, un- assuredly right now yeah and um i mean yeah and the one is one of those things and i think the uh i think the place will have to to leave it on that unfortunately is that just the idea that, yeah, I mean, what what more can we say about it? It is an absolutely massive disaster. It is the consequence of of so many of things that we've been saying, and there's zero joy in that. There's, I'm, I don't take any pleasure whatsoever in saying I told you so. But you know, this this is what happens when you don't uh, put any limits on things. When you don't use science to to design policy. When you let corporations just uh, essentially de facto run countries because there's such a significant portion of their income that they can't afford to say no to them, that we end up in these situations. I mean, part of the, one of the, or the part of the article there was that neighboring countries are bickering um, with them because of the health conflicts from the smoke is going over and this is creating diplomatic problems. Like their their house is on fire and you're yelling at them for getting soot on your walls. Like it's it's just madness. And and so I mean beyond that, I mean we're still going to have to wait a little while to find out. Um, the long-term consequences, it's going to continue to get worse undoubtedly because, again, this is such a biologically diverse area that who knows what the cascading effects. We, we may not find out even the, the full effects of this for 10 years still to come because of how interconnected all these things are. But, uh, you know, we're going to keep our – we'll keep our eye on it. Um, we'll keep talking about it uh, uh, as, as much as it's required to do so. But, I mean, for now, I, I, as you said, I, don't, I don't really don't know what else we can say about it. Yeah. Uh, so, well, and then that, that – uh, what can we say other than what uh – what are we doing about it, Emmett? 
<laughs> what are we doing about it? Well, I mean, I think we've seen many examples where when the world wants to mobilize around something, particularly the, the G20 countries, um, there's quite a, a swift and immediate response. Or if the world wants to shift resources, a lot of those resources we've seen into to, pumped into military interventions. So when we have a humanitarian and ecological crisis, which this undoubtedly is, we need to look at what countries like Canada, um, and you know, what are we going to do to support people who are directly impacted in terms of uh, foreign aid capacity support um, and looking at doing what you can to basically mitigate um, the worst impacts, both human and ecological. Um, and that needs to start happening now. I mean, this this is still running its course, but that doesn't mean that we can't have that kind of planning in terms of what kind of support um, the world's going to offer. Yeah. And, and then and then the uh, the. There was an attempted pitch into your next story uh, in that – so we're looking at – if, if now we have you know, every day in another United States, uh, climate action at the UN is going to be even more and more important. Um, and not to con- pile on bad news, but not, ex- not all the reports are so sunny coming out of, out of, out of, out of the UN right now. Yeah, so basically what um – the UNFCCC has done is, is taken all the contributions or pledges from all the UN countries towards um, Paris, COP21, and tallied them to see if it, they actually land below um, that target of keeping global average temperature rise below two degrees Celsius, and they don't. Mm-hmm. And we, we anticipated that. So right now it's hovering around 2.7 C. And so there's a lot of work to be done in these few critical weeks in terms of putting the pressure on governments, including our own, which is not taking a science-based target uh, to COP21, in terms of bringing down that threshold, that anticipated threshold. I just want to raise a specific flag because I think it speaks to some of the themes we've been talking about. The group representing the least developed countries, LDC, that's not my term, that's just the term that's being used for this coalition, has raised the red flag and said, the so-called 2C safe zone is not a safe zone for us. We want to see the world shooting for a 1.5 degrees Celsius target. We know that particularly small island nations are directly impacted um, by the level of the pledges that are put forward by the rest of the world in terms of being at risk of the worst impacts of climate change. Um, as just one example. So we are going into the very critical home stretch where the world needs to really step up its action. And, you know, I just want to flag up one other thing just because it fits with what we've been discussing. The European Parliament passed a resolution just a little while ago um, around what we call a carve-out clause uh, for trade agreements. So the, the fear has been that the sort of investor state dispute settlement provisions in these trade agreements like the TPP will actually come into direct conflict with any agreements that are made at the international climate change negotiations in Paris. And so the the EU countries are proposing to take this to Paris as part of the negotiations. And I think this is highly relevant given that we've had the news of the TPP being released, that we actually need other countries, we need the North American countries and the Asia Pacific countries to get on board with this because because we really need to see um, a united front of making this happen, and right now we're not quite there yet. Yeah, and I think uh, just to, to on on the sort of the pressure uh, is is 
it, at least at least we have some news on, on, on actually doing some pressure. Clayton Thomas Mueller, uh, a friend of the show, yesterday uh, was part of was part of Canada's uh, the climate welcome. They're calling it Canada the Prime Minister's climate welcome, uh, and handed a, a a remarkably sized stack of scientific reports uh, to a Trudeau aide yesterday in front of Twenty Four Sussex uh, as a part of their ongoing uh, their 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 on weekend long or a little over four, four day long uh, climate welcome protest that they're doing right now. Jay, you have a little more on that. Yeah, just, you know, we're talking about all these these communities are working on the front lines. Just want to give a huge shout out to all those people uh, in Ottawa right now. We've got uh, several, uh, I don't know how many people, lots of them anyways, from across the country uh, doing the climate welcome. So they're doing peaceful sit-ins, protests outside of Rideau Hall, um, you know, to say, you know, welcome Trudeau. We're, we're watching you and we want to work with you to, to make things better. And so they're really, you know, putting that pressure on, uh, especially leading up to, to this big fall uh, in Paris. Yeah, and I I I not heard actually, MA of the of the of that of that clause, but that is a a fat like that's a, such an interesting addition to the TPP conversation. Uh, if only because it, the that's a that's one of the largest criticisms of 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 extended uh, trade agreements. Yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry to to Jeff and Stefan, but. Part of it was actually based on the work of Gus Van Harten. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. He's associated with Osgood. Um, so this was actually uh, the work of a Canadian that was drawn upon uh, by the people that championed it in the European Parliament. Maybe we want to invite him to come on the show um, because this is increasingly relevant to uh, moving to addressing some of the things that have been included in the TPP, even though it's being pinched sort of as having some environmental protections. Yeah, if uh, I'm going to break my silence on that one a little bit mm-hmm. we're running pretty close here to the um, to the end of the show we'll just a uh, couple more comments on that but yeah now that we finally have the text of the um the agreement i was i was reading some reactions to the agreement of course we had uh, dr michael uh, rimmer on a few weeks ago from the university of queensland talking about the tpp um he has also been in contact with us to come back now that it's uh, we'll do a phone call with him uh, as well now that it's uh, been released but Reading the reactions, I found very interesting because they were like, well, some some groups are, uh, you know, giving it an, an endorsement because apparently these are, you know, groundbreaking. Of course, they were quoting the groundbreaking protections for, for various things. Um, and some other, well, some groups are for it. Some groups are against it. And it's like, well, I really don't know that there's really nobody that's for it in its entirety. There were a few handfuls of groups that said that certain provisions um, – taken in isolation like okay yes this specific idea this is a good idea uh but it was not an endorsement of the entire trade agreement by any means and the types of things that what one of the first things that i noticed i mean i'm wondering because you've also had a little look at the uh, some of that too was um was the idea that the some of the things that they were saying well look look what we've got look what we put in it um was universe almost exclusively um clamping down on illegal trade it was clamping down on illegal wildlife trade, illegal this trade, illegal that trade. Now, yes, of course, uh, you know, it's sort of talking about, well, it's great because, look, we're, we're, we're trying to clamp down on illegal tuning and this is going to protect all sorts of endangered species. And, yes, those stuff are fantastic. But let's, let's understand what the common denominator here, here is. You're trying to shut down illegal markets to promote legal markets. This is all of even the stuff you're trying to make us believe is, is good. And look how, look how nice and awesome we're being. All of it benefits you. And, and there's nothing in there that, that, that sets you guys back and, and undue pressure. And, and the, my, my rant for the week will be, and then hopefully it will close on your comment, will be to my thing again, which, what are corporations? Corporations are amoralistic machines. They're not immoral. They're amoral. They're robots. Now, if we had a conversation about the Terminator and Skynet, you've designed a robot. Its primary function is to promote the benefit of other robots. 
And it's not immoral. It has no morality. It just has maximized the utility of other robots. You also can put some stuff in there about, well, you know, you shouldn't murder people and whatever. Try not to. Uh, but it's, the prime directive is to promote other robots. Who in, the, who in the planet would let this robot run free? But yet that's what corporations are. And this is, we're seeing that as a result in the palm oil. We're seeing that in Indonesia. We're seeing that all, they're designed, they're required by law. They're designed to and required by law to maximize the benefit to themselves. Why do we give them free reign? It's no less sane than, than letting an AI run around with a super giant mech body. Uh, and yes, I watch a lot of sci-fi. But that's what, I don't, <laughs> that's what I don't understand. It's madness to me. But maybe we'll get a, we've got about maybe like two minutes left here. We're, we're going a little bit over on, on our local show here because we started a bit late. Um, so maybe just a quick comment yeah. on I don't know if I can top that, Darren, though I also watch a lot of sci-fi. Yes. Um, I think it's a question of what is the left hand doing and what is the right hand doing? So when you look at the TPP and you see that there's an investor state dispute resolution provision to – basically sue governments, that is seriously going to impede governments' abilities to put in the measures to realize some of the things that they're agreeing to at the climate conference in Paris. So we can't see these two initiatives in isolation, and we've got to really mount pressure on our governments to say, hey, these two things go hand in hand. How are you going to resolve this? And maybe I'll leave it there. This is an ongoing discussion on the show, and I look forward to coming back to it again. All right. Final comments from Jay Wall. Yeah, well, I mean, going right back to the meeting here when Kevin was talking about, you know, climate changes everything. Uh, we definitely have a lot at stake, and uh, it's an exciting exciting season, so uh, let's get to work. Stefan? Uh, I'll, I'll accept that uh, there is good environmental policy when corporations are scared. I don't like, – like, if the t- you can't argue that the TPP is good environmental policy if there are not a bunch of or- corporations coming out, set, coming out against it, and that's not happening. Yeah. So. If they like the deal, it can't be good for us. <laughs> that's, it's really that simple. Your Coles Notes version of the TPP. If they like it, we should be against it. Uh, so I mean, we're going to end there a little bit short today, but again, we're over time, unfortunately, a little bit of shift around with the time. However, we are going to go and, uh, and do a little bit of a bonus show. This will be the first week it's going to be posted with the regular show, but you can only get it on the podcast. So last reminders uh, – uh, we have the call-in line call. Leave a comment if you like uh, on any of these or more. The podcast, uh, if you're listening on the podcast or if you want to listen to the podcast, make sure you check greenmajority.ca, even if you're already subscribing because there are some changes going on. And, of course, finally, our CIUT fundraiser is next week. That's all the have time uh, stuff we have time for. Thank you to all of our giant panel today and all of our guests and all of you, the listeners, because you guys are also awesome. Have a good green week, folks, and we'll talk to you all real soon. Mm-hmm.